Hey, this is Conversations About Adoption, and I'm Jen. This is the next segment of the conversation I had with adoptees who have extremely limited contact or cut contact completely with their adoptive parents. If you did not already hear that episode, I suggest you go back and listen to it before you listen to this one because it is a direct continuation. I also wanted to add again how very surprised I was by the number of people who have reached out to talk about this topic. Um, People wanted to be involved in the podcast but weren't able to. And I think from now on, if I'm going to try to host a group discussion to make sure everybody who wants to be involved gets involved, I'm going to try to use um, an Eventbrite event and create it on Facebook and share it around and on Twitter, a few other places, um, because I don't like the fact that I wasn't able to include everybody. Although, I have to admit, if I was able to include everybody, it would have probably been like a four-hour conversation. Um, And so many people commented on my social media posts about having cut contact with their adoptive parents. I mean, it's almost like somebody could make a podcast about this topic alone. So... We will now start the next section of this conversation, and I'm glad that you're here listening. It's okay. Michelle's had her hand up for a while, so let's give her a chance to talk, and then I'd like to also hear from Sarah Louise because she joined us late, and I want to hear her story, too. So I don't mean to cut you off, but um, it's already over an hour, so I just want to make sure everybody has a chance to talk. Thank you. Hi, I just I just wanted to emphasize with everyone and, and um, talk about all the dis- different situations. There's so many common factors that we all mentioned, um, you know, that we didn't feel a part of that family, um, that anytime we questioned something, we were, you know, it was manipulated to make us feel guilt and shame, um, all of those things. And, and is it somebody mentioned when you were sick and you just wanted your mom or when you're, when you had your, your baby and you wanted your mom there, you know, I, I, I had a surgery during COVID and I felt the same way. I was like, I just want my mommy, but I didn't have one, you know, and I, I, it's taken me a really long time to make peace with that. Um, after my adoptive mother died, I went into a deep depression and uh, you know, members of my adoptive family were, you know, made it sound like that was proof that I missed her and all that. And it was actually the opposite. It was me mourning the fact that I was never going to have a mom, a mom like all my friends had and, you know, that they adored and couldn't wait to call when they found out they were pregnant and, you know, insert all those things. I I wasn't going to ever have that. And I knew it. I I totally get that because my, my birth mother was deceased too. So like, I've had to go through that process of grieving, not ever having that real maternal relationship. Any of you guys like collect maternal figures, by the way? (laughs) I have friends that are, I've had friends that are like a mom figure that I could always talk to, you know, but like when in my young, in my twenties and thirties, one of my best friends was like a woman in her sixties and she was like, I could talk to her in ways I couldn't talk to my adopted mom. Uh, sorry to cut in here for a second, but just no. based on what you said, okay, here's the really fucked up part about what I do, and I'm trying not to do it as much. Actually, I'm doing a really good job about not doing it as much. My maternal mom figures, a lot of the time, tend to be adoptive parents. I know that's bad. Um, I know that's really bad, and I've been getting a lot better at it, but like... Sometimes when I like need to talk to somebody, like there's some adoptive parents that like actually understand a lot of the issues that I'll I'll call and I'll just be like, hey, I need a fill in mom for a moment. Um, I haven't done that in like a year, but it's I understand how fucked up it is and I understand exactly where the fucked up comes from. That's interesting. I had the crossing guard. I've had a couple teachers that I would go back and visit even after I graduated from high school and like just to 
touch base and talk to them and it's just like because my mom was such a hard person to talk to she was always very critical her feelings were the only ones that mattered and it it made it difficult and her favorite fucking thing to do to my sister and me um was always like well i feel like a piece of garbage or a piece of furniture because you you just ignore me and it's like what should i come fawn at your feet or something like i don't what do you want from me because we would try to include her in things like after my dad died she was just a wreck and like my sister like moved her to the house we're at now which is literally four doors down from the house my sister and her husband were living at and they were having a celebration for my sister's birthday and they're like mom why don't you come down she wouldn't come down she wanted everybody to come to her you know and it was just like i don't know what that was you know i know what her mother was like though and she was very much that way so i know where it comes from but it was the craziest thing because she would always she'd get off the phone with her mom. Her mom was in Mexico and she would be like, if I ever get like my mother, I want you to tell me. And we both looked at her and said, if you get like your mother and we tell you, you're going to deny it. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. But um, so, Sarah, you want to tell us a little bit about your story, how long you've been non contact with your um, adoptive parents and your reason? Yeah, um, well, I uh, became, I went into care when I was about seven, actually. Um, and I had two foster placements and then a children's home. And then I ended up in uh, adoptive parents' care. Um, but I was placed, I think, in, I was placed in like foster care, uh, um, sort of, so basically, we I think I was given to my adoptive parents and they fostered me for about two years and then they adopted me when I was about 14. Um, and sorry, I'm a little, uh, this is kind of the first time I've really spoken about this. It's it's quite um it's quite raw for me still. So um back in 2021, um I decided to I decided to estrange, estrange. I think it's estrange. Is that the word? Estrange um, mm-hmm. from my adoptive mum. My adoptive dad died in twenty fifteen, and I was the closest to him. Um, he was my only person that I really felt some sort of connection to. Um, and my adoptive parent was narcissistic, controlling, very conditioning. Um, and she knew exactly what she was doing uh, with me, except I just didn't get with the program until I was in my 40s and realised what was going on. Um, and I feel like such a fool for that. Um, but I decided I didn't want to continue with connection of any kind with my entire adoptive family. And that was a really, 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 I can't can't quite decide whether it's a stupid move or whether it was a really raw and and no bold move to certify and have a bit more respect for myself. Um, And also for my child, because my child was really struggling with, her my adoptive parents behavior towards my child and I'd saw I picked up somebody was saying how um they they had their children the 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 way that the adoptive parent parented or guided that parenting and criticized the other you know I can't remember who it was that spoke about that but I totally recognize that because every yeah, it seems yeah, um, um yeah. I just literally was like, um yeah, I get that because every time I brought my daughter around, it was right. Okay, thanks very much, and we'll take her. Bye, see you later. Bye. That's it. And I was consistently going through a constant severance with my own child. 
and it was I I didn't realize it, but it was having such a a real effect on my ability to bond with my child. And this went on for ten years, and I finally got to a point where I just went, I've actually had enough now because there was there was a certain situation that happened up which I don't really feel ready to go into right right now, but it just totally destroyed any opportunity of actually trying to cross that bridge with my adopter parent because I tried so hard for about 40 years to manage it and to try to rekindle a relationship but it was completely deflected all of the time so um when I estranged with him I estranged with all of my supports, which included all my adoptive mothers, friends, children's support, which I garnered one friendship for about 20, 30 years, constant in contact, but I dropped it. Um, so I am literally living by myself as a single parent, bringing up my child now with no supports um, apart from social, like third sector, you know, like um, charitable support networks um, and just really sort of living day to day on the breadline all the time um, because I don't have that support. And in fact, my adoptive mother, she's quite manipulative with money financially Um. And what happened in 2021 needed an apology before I could even open a door and say, that's fine, you know, let, let's, let's try and see if we can do this. But instead, often a birthday card would come or a Christmas card would come with money in it, um, you know, and she knows my situation it's very vulnerable and I'm a single parent and I rely on any kind of support. And, uh, you know, I spoke about this to somebody once and they, they sort of said, well, we'll just take it. You don't have to like say anything. I was like, no. So I sent it back. Um, and I knew there was money in it. It probably could have given something to my daughter. But in the end, I, I chose respect for myself because I'd had enough of disrespecting myself for so many years of being in that relationship, which was destroying me from the heartstrings. It really, really was. And I hadn't noticed it was destroying me to the extent that it was until I left the relationship and I went no contact. And I was so relieved. Once I got through the fog and I understood the reasons why I was doing it, um, and once I started to accept it and I connected with other adoptees to help support that understanding of what was going on, my goodness, um, I've come quite quite a long way since that happened. Um, but it still has left me in a very vulnerable position in society in general because I'm now an adoptee who is a single parent nearing my 50s and can only get supports from schools and um, charities who all don't have childhood ACEs training or trauma-informed training. So that then connects me to further abuses within the services that can then inflict, inflict more pain because I'm, I'm not reaching people that don't understand that. So it's very, so what I went through was really impacting. Um, but at the end of it, I, I, I came away from it thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have to figure out my identity now. I mean, how do I do that? And that's the thing. I'm like stuck in a house and four walls and I've spent the entire summer with my daughter at home because we can't afford to go out. We've no car. We're we're stuck in an area. 
because I had to move three hours away from my adopter parent in order to do this like seven years ago. I would not have been able to have done this if I had lived in the same area as her. It would have been impossible. And I know that she has friends at the moment that are constantly watching, listening, looking at my Facebook, you know, just trying to see if they, how they can protect my adopter parents' uh, reputation. You know, and it, it gets to a point where I'm like, well, when is anyone going to listen to me? And for over, four, well, I'd say 30, 37 years, not a single person has listened. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's pretty, pretty typical. I have one friend on Facebook who is like the last living friend of my adoptive parents she's in her 80s and i love her to death but she's of that old generation and right in line with all of society and when i say anything about adoption she'll be like but your parents loved you so much and i'm like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh i just like bite my tongue like i know they do oh my gosh i i know you know, so I'm very careful about what I post. Also, because I have a lot of biological family on there. Second cousins, yeah. my dad, my little sister, my brother occasionally floats in and out and he's a piece of crap. So um, anyway, <laughs> Maria, you or Nikki, I'm sorry, I keep doing it. Nikki, what what did you use your hand up? I just wanted to say that, Sarah, good for you that you drew the line, you know, Sarah Louise and set a boundary and that I struggle. I'm 58. I struggle with setting boundaries in a professional capacity, in family, friends. I mean, I don't even, it's like, it's like, please explain it to me again. Like I'm a three-year-old because my adoptive parents didn't allow me to say no, you know, they were authoritarian Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, and I mean, everyone's described a certain pathology of their of their adoptive parents. I did say adoptive, right? Of their adoptive parents being narcissistic or being, um, uh, you know, gaslighting, and you know all these things. And so were mine. And I does anybody has anybody really worked on this and said, you know, this is what I say to myself. This is how I feel about. This is how I envision boundaries. No is the first word. I I don't have it worked out. I yeah, think I am. Get stuck in that people pleasing thing, you know, and so boundaries don't feel like something we're supposed to do. I don't know. Yeah, I get that because like boundaries are a really difficult thing, I think, for a lot of adoptees because of the historic sort of circumstances surrounding an adoptee and their life. And I definitely have an issue with boundaries, but it goes, you know, it goes from either one extreme to another so it's either <laughs> no boundaries or boundaries like this high yep. like put the big wall up yep. but you, you can't get in between you know and it's actually one of the reasons why um I'm very scared to go back to work um I haven't worked for a long time after I had a major major uh breakdown uh in 2005 and I never really quite recovered from it um, but before 2005, I was working a lot, but I was consistently coming across issues with boundaries and knowing how to, what the etiquette was and the politics was and all that kind of stuff. I just, I just didn't know that. And like working, I think for me was a real struggle. And I think the outside world, when you're working, it's and you're an adoptee, and you come against issues, and there's like lots of people at your work, but none of them understand your background. Mm-hmm. It can become really isolating, and it it, it affects your self esteem quite horrendously. So it's one of the reasons I'm I'm really careful about work for the future like I have to make sure that there are support networks around within that work system yeah so you know 
if, if all goes to shit, I, I know I've got a game plan in my back pocket somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I know you have your hand up, Ruth. I'll get you in a minute. I, I'm starting work tomorrow myself, and it's where I did my internship, and um, it's actually like a, it's a mental health crisis unit, um, but it's mostly active detox, and it gets very stressful, but the reason why I'm going back there is because the people that work there are just great. It's like a family, and it feels like a support system, and it's doesn't pay great, but it's good experience. Um and I got triggered like hell during my internship because there were women who lost their kids because of their addiction. There were adoptees in there because of addiction. And it's just like, whoo. Um, to hear that. That's sad. Yeah. Um, Sarah Louise, one more question. Did you ever look into your like reconnecting with your biological family? Um, yes, I did actually reconnect with my uh, birth mom. Um, and it was a really, really surreal moment. But I also found out at that point that my adoptive mother, sorry, my birth, sorry about that. Um, I get confused sometimes between the adopter mother and the birth mother. <laughs> um, when I went to go and see her, she was amazing. And I remember her first comment And she was just this lovely, tiny little woman, and um, little tiny Scottish woman, right? And I know I'm Scottish, but she was like super Scottish. <laughs> I can't explain it. And she she sat there and she went and she looked at me and I had, at the time, I had really long curly brown hair or something like that. And she like touched my hair and she, she grabbed hold of my hand and she said, oh my goodness, she says, you look absolutely beautiful. You have done so well. And I was like, mm-hmm, if only you knew. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually say anything to her, but what was really interesting was that I had a friend of mine that came with me for the reunion and um, she was my ex-foster mum. And I've been friends with my ex-foster mum for many, many years, since I was about 19. And she was my confidant. Um, she was somebody that I went to when I was emotionally struggling. Um, and this particular time when I went to go and visit my mum, she was like, um, we got in the car and we went into town to go and get something to eat, some coffee or whatever. And just as we got out of the car, we went to walk to the coffee place. And my adoptive mum had this kind of, she kept looking over her shoulder all the time. And I thought, why are you doing that? And then I realised that what was going on with my birth mum was that what happened to my mum was, was I think that she got postnatal depression quite severely um, and as a result um, she was never seen properly by the health professionals so her family literally fell apart at the seams so it was really quite sad um, like my family and I got taken away as a result um, but when we got back after the coffee and everything, I noticed, I asked her and I said, so what was, what was the reason really that I got taken? And immediately her whole facial expression changed. She looked angry. She looked pissed off. She looked like she was actually going to kill me. And it terrified me. And my ex, my ex foster mum was sitting there like mouthing to me going, stop, don't say anything more. And I was like, okay, okay. Because <laughs> I realized I was in a very small car. So if it really kicked off, we'd be in a lot of problems. So by the time uh, we got back home, uh, uh, I dropped my birth mum off and I never really see, seen her again after that. And I just decided, okay, well, clearly that's not, that reunion's not really gonna, gonna, gonna go. So I'll just deal with the lot that I have with my adopter parents and just keep going. 
and that that's that's the result really so thanks for sharing um i know kim has your hand up ruth you had your hand up for a while and then you took it down did you want to say something real quick um i decided to put what i wanted to say into the chat so i did that Oh, they can't see that in the podcast. I'm going to read it real quick. I just wanted to share what has made the biggest difference in my life was Al-Anon because my adopted brother was a drug dealer. I see. Yeah. 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 Yep. My mom became an alcoholic after my dad. Uh, It was, I I have learned boundaries, self-love, self-acceptance, and and that's come through a 12-step program. Yeah. 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 Okay, Kim, go ahead. I think I just lost my train of thought. Um, I'm sort of taking notes, journaling and taking notes at the same time. I wanted to say, um, I don't know about y'all, but I'm picking up bits and pieces of stuff to add to what I call my bag of tricks, my coping skills, my calming, you know, emotional regulation um, skills. Anyway, um, Khaleesi, you were mentioning um, your adoptive family getting upset over social media posts and criticizing you. And you you said something, this may not be verbatim, but very close to it. I don't receive that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's simple but so profound um you can literally respond to nasty rude behavior by saying i'm sorry i don't accept that i reject it um and then you know what what happens from there is gosh it's a it's wide open but you know that and the boundary setting yeah, that is so hard for us, isn't it? My adoptive mother crossed my boundaries so many times before I knew what that concept was. Um, but you know what? Nobody had a clue how how I, I really felt towards her and how I felt... Um, by the way she treated me. I, I, I've i thought about this over the past few years and the strongest sort of emotion that comes out when I think about her and what, what you know is left between us is that she was disappointed in me. That's way stronger than anything else. Um, it was a terrible match. It's, it's, it's a crapshoot. Like how can you match a neonate <laughs> to the right parents and my trauma and my issues my reaction to all of it was got me punished constantly I couldn't be who I was you know really was I didn't know who I was um and I I really feel like that influenced the way that that their biological daughters, because I they couldn't have kids, and then, wow, magic! Mm-hmm. Adopt and they adopt and they will come. My adoptive father actually told me that 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 was their. He said that they they um what was it that he said he said, we satisfied or fulfilled the axiom of adopt and they will come. I mean that's just one of many, like can you open your mouth and stick your foot in farther. (laughs) Like when I say I feel used, that's kind of why I understand that it's not okay. Like it's not okay that, and you know, they, they, they dump it back on me or my biological mom, my real mom. I consider her my, my real mother. I have, completely transformed from this fake, you know, the shoes I was supposed to fill to, I, I mean, 
I changed my name. I want my original identity to be legally recognized by the state, but I, I changed my name. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling now a little bit. Um, and I don't want to do that, but anyway, Khaleesi that, thank you for that. I'm, I mean, it's one of those things that, oh, well, duh, but if you don't hear it from somebody who gets you, um, it's, I don't know, it, it, that kind of took a stronger hold for me. There was something else I wanted to say, but I can't remember what it was. So I'm going to pass it on to the next person. Michelle. Okay. Hi. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of things that we all seem to have in common. Um, and listening to a lot of your stories, I am hearing a lot of the same thoughts and angriness and, and you know, ways that you're trying to act on and, and, you know, move on from the trauma or people accepting you or not. And I remember my therapist saying to me, like, you need to have the power. Like, I needed to have the power of what I was letting go of kind of thing. And so one thing that's really helped me is I just say, let them, let them be wrong. Let them think that, let them talk about me because they're going to do it anyway. And I'm going to let myself go away from them. You know, I'm giving myself permission to let them go. So it's all about just letting them and I can't say that they are better or worse for my inaction in their lives. I don't really care. Um, my situation was a little different in that um, the real break in the family happened after my adoptive father passed away. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I had been written out of the will. Um, and so my siblings, one two years older, adopted, and the one two years younger, their biological daughter, all knew this for years and that the will had been changed um, simply because I also challenged their narrative and asked questions and wanted to confront some of the issues that happened growing up. Um, and they wanted no part of it. And I was deemed, you know, evil spawn. And um, I, I, I guess they took that as a way of, I was distancing myself from the family. However, I would still visit, they they knew my son, you know, it, the business continued even after my adoptive mother passed away. Um, and so, you know, I spent a really long time being super angry um, and I, oh my God, I must've written them, you know, 20 different angry letters. But as I kind of sat with it and sat with the idea of just letting them be wrong is it just seemed a better way for me to let go of it. And, you know, like I wrote in the chat, that was my way also of breaking the cycle of generational trauma. I, I, I want, I don't want my family, my son, my husband and I to have a part of that, you know, branch that was poisonous basically. So we're done. Yeah. I, I went through my reunion 20 years now um and something that i've had to like I, I don't even remember when it happened or how it happened or if it was a conscious decision but i had to recognize that my only option as an adoptee is to land in a place of acceptance things happened to us we had no control over and we can either like let it you know and I'm not trying to like play that victim thing, but it's like, literally you kind of have to just like, I have to accept that I will never get to meet my birth mother. I will never get to hug her. I will never get to ask her the questions. And that was the, one of the biggest challenges for me was just having to be like, okay, it is what it is. And I can't do anything about it, you know? And so like, I guess I've funneled that energy into what I do on social media and <laughs> going back to school at 47, like a crazy person. Cause I have to work until I die. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's really something, you know, and 
so often when you look at social media and you see adoptive parents posting or hopeful adoptive, it's like, are you even thinking about the child at all? And what effect this is going to have on them? Or are you just thinking about what you want right now? And that's where like, it's frustrating. I see it all the time. It's like, it's a biological drive to want to have kids. That That's number one. Number two, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but like in this country, you know, with, with the patriarchy and all that, like in my generation in particular, I was raised to find a man, get married, have kids. I mean, and, and like, you know, as soon as somebody is like, oh, we're engaged. Oh, when are you going to have kids? Or as soon as the wedding happens, when are you going to have kids? There's that constant drive, you know, to like procreate and reproduce. And you're less than if you can't have kids. Like a friend of mine once said, she's like, oh, well, not being able to have kids. She's like, that's my womanhood. I'm like, Which, what? And it's just like, I wish people would stop like pushing people into like feeling like they have to have kids to be complete. And no one's entitled to a child. No, that is no a big thing. If you can't procreate, it doesn't mean you go and buy one. Like, I, oh, it just, I'm sorry. I was ranting now. What's up, Khaleesi? You have your hand up again. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say to Kimberly, like, thank you for your, um, her feedback it's uh been a and it is still a work in progress that kind of response and i was the complete opposite before i'm by before i mean as a child as a teenager and early 20s as a teenager my adoptive dad if he like was strict about something and legitimately so sometimes he could even come back down the stairs to my room and say why don't you say anything you just sit there and receive it you're allowed to defend yourself and now I'm almost the complete opposite so now I'm probably pretty annoying but what I try to <laughs> what I try to think I, t I try to tell myself I do and that's not only with my adoptive parents but I try to think what what does Michelle Obama says when they go low we go high I try to think like that and my closest friends when they hear what my parents sometimes do or say they say it is a miracle you have not gone batshit crazy and go all completely ghetto and I'm like if you heard what's inside my head then that's a completely different story that would be our that would be content not for kids you have to be like 18 plus so I try to think of it as that and then I try to think and there's a very like uh, kind of want to throw up in my mouth just saying it but it's the thing about I cannot no matter how much I would like to or maybe I feel like I deserve an apology whatnot which I probably do but I try to think I can not control anybody but myself all I can do is express I feel this that and that and I think such and such and beyond that it is not up to me what someone chooses to do or not so that's why I try to have that approach and it's very hard uh, most of the time and my adoptive dad for instance he is not allowed to be alone with my child without me and I had a 45 minute conversation with him before I decided that it was because of a situation and I asked open ended question like how did you feel when, and when your grandchild tells you they're scared of you, what does, ha what happens in you then? But inside my head, it was like, do, and I wanted to like snap her neck off. And it was all of these things. And I would say, you know what? And I did, I even told him, if I've understood you incorrectly, please correct me. But what I hear you telling me is from the situation that we now process, you are of the perception that everything you said and everything you did towards my child was okay. And he just said, yeah. And I was like, okay. Well, the consequence of that is then you cannot be with him alone. I need to be there or another adult that I trust. 
have to be there. And then it was like, oh, that's a little bit harsh. Maybe in a few days, you'll come to your senses. And this is soon three years ago. I've not come to my so-called senses. <laughs> the conclusion is still the same. And I shit my pants, not literally, but uh, sometimes when I set boundaries like that, but I also feel very empowered by doing so. And to the great annoyance of my, uh, some of my family members. Kim, you have your hand up. Yes. Um, what was I going to, I was going to ask a question to the group. Um, I'll come back to it. I, it, I was so busy listening to Khaleesi that <laughs> it fled, it fled my, it fled my head. I'll think <laughs> of it and I'll, I'll come back. Okay. Sarah Louise, you have your hand up. Yeah, I completely agree with you actually that boundaries with adoptive parents when it comes to children is actually really fucking terrifying like excuse my language but it absolutely is 100 percent. and from when my daughter was a baby uh right the way through up to the age of 10 uh or nine um i gave in like i didn't have the guts because i felt like i owed them like i felt like I felt too guilty. There was a guilt attached to it. So like if I didn't share my child with my adoptive mother, who's always wanted to have a child, um, that was always the condition, I think, of me having this child and that their support financially would support that. So as a result, I had no get out clause. I couldn't turn around and say, look, this child is not born for you. This child was born for me. But yet it was made to feel like that child, the child that I had, was actually made for her. And that that was horrendous. And, you know, congratulations on you for actually setting those boundaries really early on. And I honestly wish I had done that because I don't think I would be here 10 years later you know, looking back on my life and thinking, geez, I wonder what my life would be like if I set those boundaries and I walked away when my daughter was, you know, a baby. So, you know, I I totally get it. And I think you absolutely have every right to put a boundary down with your adopter parents if they, you know, if they feel that they step over that mark. You know, and a lot of the way that my adoptive parents um, parented my child goes, went against so many things with me that I just did not agree with. But I felt silenced and I felt shut down every single time I made any effort to say, I don't really agree with, you know, giving her sugary um frosties in the morning she's gonna go really really hyper and you're not gonna cope with it oh for goodness sake what are you talking about would be the reaction hey, every your child your rules yo exactly but i didn't i i struggled so hard because there was a a line yeah that we all knew that if i crossed over it it would be right um we're not going to support you for the next three weeks and you're going to struggle so it was constantly here's some money right and if you don't do as you're told we'll pull back and Can't then you'll see how, yeah and then you'll see how it feels and then we'll give you some more and that's what happened for 10 years in order to make sure she had that child kept within her reach that's just and this, yeah it was horrible and that's and I had no voice for that. And I think that's why it's taken so long for me to actually have a voice in the adoptee world and in podcasts and that sort of stuff to actually, like, actually warn other adoptees that these things are, these this conditioning shit and this loyalty and this guilt 
is constantly going to be happening unless you put a stop to it. Yeah. And it's up to them to, to turn around and say, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Um, and I won't go into it, but the way that my mum stopped that relationship with me was pretty dramatic. Um, so just be careful how you end it, is all I'm saying. Because it can have repercussions afterwards in terms of your mental health. Sure. So, yeah, you have to take care of this up here because it's been battered enough yeah. from when you were put into care or adopted. So, you know, that's really important. That's it. <laughs> Khaleesi and Sarah both have your hands up. So whichever one wants to go first, go ahead. Go ahead, Khaleesi. Okay, I actually have a question. I, I, for those who have children themselves, uh, at any point have you felt that in any shape or form that your adoptive parents or either of them have, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, um, gu guilted you for having your biological children? And to put it in context, not long ago, I confronted my adopted mom about uh, her and my adopted dad, I spoke about not following the rules in the adoption process, where one of the things my adopted mom then said uh, was, um, and she was like, yeah, but we wanted a child. And I was like, that does not allow you to give zero shits about rules and regulations and she and then she blurted out well at least you could have your own child quite easily and first of all she don't know whether that was easily or not but that threw me off so that's the reason why i'm asking the questions if anyone has experienced similar who chose to have kids and was able to um i can answer that question first um my parents, they were excited. They were very, very excited about my first child. Um, and just for additional context, um, I was married when I had both of my kids. Um, and um, I got pregnant when I was married, like, you know, did everything in the correct order or whatever. Um, but with my second child, um, they shamed me, actually, like, maybe not out loud, but quite a bit. Um, just like in their attitude and their demeanor and their actions. And um, I actually got pregnant a third time. And I told them, like, as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, um, and they didn't even like say a word um, other than asking me if I had forgotten to take in my birth. Or for, they asked me if I forgot to take my birth control. Um, wow. and yeah. Um, and then I had a miscarriage actually, like literally, like I started having the miscarriage the next day. Um, but like the really just, I was so frustrated when they said that because like they couldn't, it's just like, they were just getting progressively frustrated with each pregnancy. It felt like, um, and it, they, they shamed me. And I, looking back now, I think a lot of that is kind of due to their own trauma regarding infertility. Um, I think some of it was, and I can't speak for them. This is just kind of what I felt and what I observed. Um, I think a lot of it was kind of just some shame on my adoptive mom's part um, regarding what my body could do without me even trying um and what hers just wouldn't do and what she would give anything for um and so she she saw me um having kids that weren't planned or getting pregnant when it was unplanned and i was young and i think it made her mad so her response was shame huh. um that's that's just what it felt like to me um obviously i can't speak for her um so that was that was kind of what her response was um and i don't know if that really answers your question Khaleesi, but like that's how that's how my parents reacted but with my first they were very 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 excited um and i felt and this isn't something that i think they really 
um, did intentionally or they even really did. Maybe it was just me. I felt like I had to share moments of my pregnancy with my adoptive mom because she didn't um, get that opportunity to experience that. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I can't even imagine what that was like. All right. We let's, we're going to wrap up here real soon. Ruth, you've got your hand up. And then, um, if you guys want to, we'll just go like exit round Robin with like any closing statements, anything anybody wants to say after Ruth says what she wants to say, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Yeah. I really think that, um, I have four adult children. And I really think that childbirth knocked, I mean, it came to a head because there it was, me, ungrateful bastard. <laughs> she spent her whole damn life assuming that I was having sex and I wasn't because I didn't want to get pregnant because I couldn't relinquish a kid. And I, I know that for a fact. So I was married, right? And I got pregnant. And it was a surprise. And she loved that it was a surprise. Loved. And and I got little digs. Then with the second, then I, I had a miscarriage in between child number one and child number two. And um, she was a little too cheery, sympathetic about it. Mm. Then with child number two, um, I learned that my uterus is oddly shaped, right? And I didn't know that. And, and after uh, he was born, I was like, I didn't know that blah, blah, blah. And she was like, nobody gives a damn, Ruth. Nobody gives a damn. And I thought, I mean, my mom doesn't swear. And I thought, ooh, this is totally uncomfortable. So after my third kid was born, I um, didn't ask her to come out um, for a few months because she really, really, it really hurt my feelings when she said that about my uterus. And like, like, keep your mouth off talking about my body. <laughs> right? Like, shut up. Yeah. Just shut it. And so uh, I hemorrhaged after my third kid and almost died. And I thought, I, man, I don't want to hear anything about my body out of you. And then after she did eventually come out. She said, um, so you have three boys. Do you not know how to make girls? And I thought, you know, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then I have a fourth son who came real quickly after the third son. And she, the whole pregnancy, every month she sent me a sympathy present. And she, she would say that she would say shit to me, like, well, you're not going to be able to afford dish towels. So here's some dish towels. Wow. Or, oh, it was ungodly. And I really feel like in my situation, and I can only of course speak to my own situation. It was really another going down a different path because, um, I really recognized that her infertility trauma had never been dealt with at all. Um, both because I don't think there were adequate resources available for her. There weren't, you know, counseling was for people who were in inpatient facilities. Right. It wasn't something that you could do, right? Like you talked with your friends, you prayed, whatever is your, you know, your thing. So I really feel like there weren't the resources available to her as a, uh, an infertile woman in a society that demanded that women have children. Right. Right. And then there was no education for her about raising an adoptee. Like not only are my needs different and were my needs different, but she was literally told I was adopted out of foster care. Cute little kid. You just take her home and love her. That's not how it works. We're damaged. We've had trauma. You know, like I can't remember who said it, but somebody was talking about when their mom dies, um, grieving that they didn't have a mom. Who was that? Who said that? Raise your hand. Thank you of us. <laughs> um, okay. That but, was Michelle. 
Michelle. That was, okay. that was Michelle, oh, she but she had yeah. to get off oh, because okay. of a storm coming. But I really identified with that. My mom has dementia and she's 96. She's not going to be around a lot longer. And when she dies, I won't cry because I'm going to miss her. I'm going to cry because no birth mother, no foster mother. I didn't really have an adoptive mother. So my mothering opportunities, my opportunity to be mothered by somebody other than myself have passed. And that's what I'm going to grieve. But anyways, yeah. I just wanted to say that about childbirth because yeah. I, think, woo, I think it blows every, Felicia, I probably didn't even answer your question. Um, but it just blew everything, just totally everything out of the water. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm super protective of my kids. Of and course. What I would accept for myself, because I didn't know that I could say no as a child, what I accepted for myself, I refused to accept on behalf of my kids. Like, I don't blame you. Her behavior is very passive aggressive. And oh, like, she's a, not a happy person. Yeah. Okay, so let's do anyway, some uh, closings. You know, any closing things you guys want to say, and um, about you know how you feel about this conversation. Like, do you feel it went well? Did you get anything out of it? And then uh, we'll wrap up. Who wants to go first, Sarah Louise? You got your hand up. Hi. It was lovely to meet everybody today and you all spoke so well about everything that you had gone through and it's so nice to meet other adoptees who struggle with very similar things like boundaries and, you know, adopt your parent narcissistic attitudes and, you know, and it's really good that, you know, that it, that you're, that even some of you are contemplating the no contact thing um, and that you've skirted around it or that you've explored it slightly or, you know, and I'm really glad in a way that I have done the no, the no contact thing. I, I, I was terrified of going down that road, but, and, and the initial sort of fog of coming out of it and uh, trying to sort of deal with the fact that, now I have to figure out who I am is another kind of mountain I have to climb um, at the age that I am. So it's, it's, yeah, I, it was a real pleasure to meet everybody. Um, and thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you so much, Nikki. You have to go in a couple minutes. You go ahead next. Um, Jen, you guys are moving around. I don't know why on my computer screen. Um, it, is it inappropriate that you could do like a group chat email with us? I don't, I would, would love to kind of, this was a lot, this is a lot to unpack and I'd love to stay in touch. I mean, I can't believe how much we all have in common and that the world still thinks adoption is just beautiful. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, well, uh, the email I sent out has everybody's email addresses in there. I had a lot of people that wanted to participate, but I guess couldn't make it. I'm going to send them to link to that. They can do um, record a voice message and I'm probably going to do two different episodes, this one, and then one that has the voice messages in it because this one's already gotten long and I don't really edit. So, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you were able to make it Nikki. And um, like I said, you should be able to see everybody's email addresses. You can do a reply all and um, you know, you can connect with everybody else on there. Sarah, did you say you're going? Do you? Okay. I'm still here for now. There's a quick chance or there's a chance my phone's about to die, but um, really quick, just wanted to say thank you. I think this was a really good conversation and it definitely um, gave me a little bit more insight, um, especially with like all of the different generations of adoptees and this chat as well. Um, and I think it helped me understand a little bit more about um, uh, the baby scoop era adoptees and some of the things that they went through um that i didn't experience as somebody who was adopted in the 90s but anyway so thank you for facilitating this conversation and um thank you everyone for being here yeah thanks for coming sarah okay who's next anybody 
Um, I'll go. Again, it was great being around other adaptees. <clears throat> um, something that I would love to talk about sometime is the perceptions that our siblings, like the people we weren't raised with, mm-hmm. our siblings had about our adoptive placements. My, hmm. adoptive, my brothers and sisters were like, ooh, you're so lucky. You, I'm the only one that was placed. Ooh, you're so lucky you got away. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what part of this looks like lucky? But I think two things, right? One is they buy the lie too that adopted children are lucky. Yeah. And the other is that the trauma, like I'm um, the third out of five kids and my older two siblings were little when I was adopted, right? Elementary school. Um, but the trauma that my birth mother faced, not having any clue where I was, no wonder she was a bitch. I'm sorry, no wonder. She had I gotta, no I gotta go back and listen to your episode again because it's been a few years and I forget the story. <laughs> Ruth has an episode on my podcast if you guys want to go and catch up on her story. I have a dog that needs to go out. You can yes. probably in the background. So um, thanks so much. And yeah, uh, yeah take care. Bye. All right. Thank you. Uh, Kim or Khaleesi, anything you would like to close with? Yeah, I can say, oh, sorry. <clears throat> it was uh, it was great. And it was, uh, I appreciate hearing everyone's stories and that there are certain similarities with all of us as I hear it. So thank you. What I should have asked before everybody left was, does everybody feel like more confident in their decision to go no contact after having a conversation with other adoptees that have gone no contact? And uh, that would be something people can answer that question whenever they're listening to the podcast, too, because I'll have a little feedback area and people can respond. Um, Because I know, like, I know for myself, I often feel better about decisions that I make if I talk to other people in similar situations and just like get some feedback and you know not that like the no contact thing is because my parents are gone but um but yeah but I again I just thank you guys for participating Kim did you have anything you wanted to close with um (laughs) my usual second guessing what the heck I said, because <laughs> in forums like this, I feel like I tend to ramble and go off on, you know, tangents and down rabbit holes and whatnot. But I, I, I have to say, taking myself out of, you know, what I've said out of this, just hearing everybody else. Yeah. It's affirming. I got some great advice, um, unwitting, but kind of maybe not so much. Um, I mean, I, ha- I have a lot to say about my situation. Um, I really want to write it down. Um, and each one of these events or gatherings or whatever, um, I feel like it kind of inches me closer to that. It's, it's empowering. You know, when like, <laughs> you're not happy that others are in the same boat and experiencing the same pain but good lord to not be alone yeah Um, that's what gave me sort of permission to say you know what i can't i cannot do this i cannot be in contact with people who refuse to hear me and make me the bad guy i have a valid grievance i'm in you know deep depression over you know off the charts anxiety and it's my fault no it's not well that's that's no it's not that's how that's how i'm treated but (laughs) it's it it is it really makes you wonder you know and kind of internalize the the whole you know there's something wrong with me i'm bad i'm that's that primal wound telling you yep mm -hmm. and you've got to tell it to shut the hell up sometimes because it's not true what happened to you is yeah. not your fault. You didn't ask for this. None of us did. Other people made decisions about our decisions, lives. Yeah. 
when we weren't even able to make, you know, an informed decision ourselves. Most of the time, our mothers weren't even able to make a real informed no. decision. No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so, another no, thing. None of this is any of our faults. You know, the things that we do later on in our lives, you know, our decisions, that's an entirely different thing. But the stuff that happened to us as children, no, it's not your fault. And you can also even go further out and, you know, decisions you make later on in life that can be trauma responses that you're not even aware. I've been trauma responding my whole Exactly. Life. Oh my God. Exactly. And that's, that's, why... that's the thing that's, that's so enraging is yep. that if anybody was paying attention, they would see, you know, I, I was not functioning. Yeah. That's why not, I not, yeah. Adoptive parents. Now we know better. So anyone now who is looking to adopt, it should be mandatory that they are trauma informed. All of that. Like they have to take a class, like the college level class that I took a couple semesters ago to understand trauma, you know? And um, I know it's like where you're at, Clacy. I'm so glad that you were willing to join us. So, but yeah, definitely trauma informed parenting is critical for future adoptees so I-, I agree I agree Jen yeah. because yeah. um without trauma-informed stuff and I don't believe that people who go and get trained for trauma-informed stuff only go for one day's training no. that lasts for an entire year you have to keep going on constant training yeah. to be able to make sure that you know as a support worker if you've never been adopted that you understand the processes yeah. that an adoptee has to go through on a daily basis yeah. mentally and physically absolutely um yeah so totally I, agreed yes Nikki. i just um well my gardener's waiting for me and i said um i'm in this podcast for people who are adopted and he goes no you're not and i'm like what and he goes no you're not and 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 i said